Welcome to the Persist Podcast, everyone. Today, I am so honored to be joined by our California State Treasurer, Fiona Ma. Fiona Ma is California's 34th State Treasurer. She was elected on November 6, 2018, with more votes than any other candidate for treasurer in the state's history. She is the first woman of color and the first woman certified public accountant elected to the position. Treasurer Ma was a member of the state assembly from 2006 to 2012, serving as speaker pro tem from 2010 to 2012. She built a reputation as a solution-oriented public servant and was adept at building unlikely coalitions to overcome California's most complex problems. Prior to serving as Speaker Pro Tem, she was Assembly Majority Whip and built coalitions during a state budget crisis to pass groundbreaking legislation that protected public education and the environment while also expanding access to health care. Fiona, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Denise. The Persist Women's Political Engagement Conference at UC Riverside is entering our fifth year this fall. And one of our main messages is that political engagement is much broader than just running for office or working for an elected official. However, we know that a lot of social change happens by those of us who are in elected office. You're a fantastic example of this. Please tell us a bit about yourself and your path into politics. Yeah, thank you. So I never thought I would be in politics. My parents were both born in China and we don't get involved in politics in China. So they never really encouraged me to run for student council positions uh, in school. But if I got straight A's, I could do pretty much anything I wanted. So I excelled in sports, played four sports in junior high and high school, continued to play tennis in college. And my parents wanted me to be an accountant because I was good at math. And they started early on sort of brainwashing me that, you know, hey, this is, you know, a good profession. Number one, I would balance their checkbooks. I would write all their checks out and pay their bills and they would sign their name, of course. And that's kind of my world. It became, okay, I'm going to be an accountant. So I went to the Rochester Institute of Technology because they had a paid internship program. I think that is very important for young people if they are thinking about having a career to try to go to a school that provides these paid internship positions because it's a great way to get your foot in the door and see if that company is a good fit for you. So I did that for four years. And that company that I did my internships with actually offered me a job. But by this time, my parents had moved to San Francisco and they said, we'll see you in San Francisco. And I moved there and interviewed all over again, but decided to stay with that company that offered me that internship. Spent five years there, did not see any women in leadership as partners or senior management. There were no people of color. And I decided to quit after five years to start my own practice. And while I was out networking for clients, I became president of the Asian Business Association. Association. So that was the first time at the age of 28 that I got involved in politics, went and lobbied the San Francisco Board of Supervisors and the mayor, went to Sacramento to testify on bills, got involved in the 1995 White House Conference on Small Business, and started to understand that politics is important, that people are making laws, making the rules, allocating government resources. And if we are not at the table, we don't have that voice. We may not have that representation and we may be overlooked. And so that's kind of how I started getting involved. And one thing led to another, like, you know, Denise, you get on a board or a commission. In my case, I was on the assessment appeals board. You start joining organizations and you know becoming a leader. Then you start looking around at your elected officials and you start going, I think I can do a better job 
job than that person. And that's really how I think a lot of women, especially people of color, get involved is really sitting on that pointed board or commission and then rising through the ranks and getting the confidence so that we someday can say, you know what, I think I'm ready to run for this office because I bring a lot to the table. Yes, definitely. Thank you for sharing that story. Speaking of women and people of color, you were the first woman of color and the first certified public accountant, CPA, elected to the position of California State Treasurer. We talk a lot on this podcast about the importance of representation, and as you alluded to, who's at the table absolutely matters. What has your experience been like as the first woman of color in this role, and how do you think that has changed the conversation already? Well, as the state's banker, I deal with a lot of banks, a lot of underwriting firms, financial advisors, lawyers, and most of them are predominantly men. So I think being in this position, appointing a chief of staff who is a Filipina, when we go to meetings, now these companies understand that, you know, it's important to have women in the room, people of color in the room, not just in low level positions, but in actual leadership positions. And they bring them to these meetings. And we have heard that it has given a lot of opportunities for many of these folks who were promised that promotion for years or promised that raise that now they are getting it because they are part of the team. They are at the table and because there are other people that look like them. That is what we expect, right? We expect to see diversity in these firms because, you know, I come from, you know, I'm a woman, a woman of color. And so I would also like to see other people of color and women, especially in these meetings. It's great to hear that that's already changing in your time as state treasurer. You've spent a good portion of your career in the political arena, serving in hugely influential roles such as the chair of the Board of Equalization, Speaker Pro Tem of the California State Assembly, San Francisco Supervisor, and now obviously California State Treasurer. What are some of the accomplishments you're most proud of? Well, when I was on the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, uh, it was really rough. It's an 11-member board. I was the only Asian member on the board at that time, 2002 to 2006, and only the second woman out of 11. And we, Sophie Maxwell and I, were just not prepared to fight every single day at the board. And so we spent a lot of time out in our community, helping, serving, getting things done, cleanups, building playgrounds, you know, moving around bus stops. I think my skills that I've developed, number one is putting together stakeholders. When there are difficult issues on the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, I wanted to get rid of the payroll tax because we were the only city and county that had a payroll tax and therefore companies like startups and biotech and uh, tech did not want to locate in San Francisco because they had to pay per head. So I convened a I think back then it was like a 50-person working group. And when people come together, they always ask, what is your vision? What is it that you want to get done? Because they think that these working groups are not real. And I always say, I don't know. I'm going to take your lead, what comes out of your working group. And that has really been a successful model for me, even here at the Board of Supervisors with my housing group, that they are the ones that are driving regulation changes and policy and also you know, our competitive process. But I guess a couple of my signature bills is banning the use of phthalates, which is a plastic softener that was found in baby products. 
So those baby rubber duckies and those baby books that kids chew on uh, all day long as they're teething, well, they had a toxic chemical in it called phthalates. And I was able to ban that in California. And then Senator Dianne Feinstein put it in her bill. And now no baby product should have this toxic chemical. I think that is one of my signature bills. I've also had uh, my most difficult bill and probably one of most my most satisfying is the last two bills signed by Governor Jerry Brown to allow women who are convicted of life without parole mm-hmm. a second chance to have their cases heard either by a judge or by the parole board. Women like my grandmother or my mother who were in physically and mentally abusive relationships, at some point they snap, usually in self-protection of themselves or their kids or sometimes their animals, and they end up killing their husband or their spouse or their loved one. And back then, 30 years ago, when you went before a jury, the question was, did you kill this person? Yes or no? You couldn't say yes, but they didn't want to hear the but. They didn't mm-hmm. want to hear the history, the cycles of violence and what they did to get themselves in that situation. And so these people were convicted of life without parole. That means they never thought they would have a chance at ever getting out. And because of my bill, my last two bills, probably 100 or so women are now out and able to live the rest of their lives, hopefully in some sort of dignity, respect, and of course, peace and outside of the four walls of the jail. Those are amazing examples. And again, examples of how the conversation changes when women are at the table. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, So you were elected as the 34th California treasurer on November 6, 2018, with more votes than any other candidate for treasurer in the state's history. I've been to Democratic conventions over the years, and I've seen hundreds of people walking around with t-shirts that say the Moss Squad. You have significant statewide recognition and a high-profile role, but have managed to be one of the most accessible and grounded elected officials. Tell us about the Moss Squad and how you balance your competing demands and priorities with being so open and accessible. I guess I saw firsthand I started my political journey working with John Burton uh, as a part-time district representative. My parents really didn't want me to give up accounting fully, but they said, okay, you could work for him two and a half days. And that's what I did in his office. And he was an assembly member when I started with him. And then for the next seven years, he became president pro tem of the Senate. But the minute he was termed out. He used to have a birthday party every December and thousand people used to come. He'd raise a million dollars, never had to pick up the phone. But that November when he termed out, nobody came to his event. Nobody came, nobody donated. And that was an eye opener for me because you think that people would remember what you've done, how you've helped them, how you've moved the needle or, you know, created history in the state of California by his leadership and the bills he signed and um, the money that he allocated to different causes. But that's That's not the reality, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Lobbyists and companies support people when they're in office, but not out of office. And so that was the first eye-opener for me, that the people that you see going up the ladder are the same people you see coming down the ladder. And I have learned that, you know, don't get a big head. You know, you come to Sacramento and people think and they laugh at all your jokes and they, they, you know, they think you're the smartest person while you're up here. But the minute you're out of office, you're really persona non grata. So I think that's kind of why I am, you know, grounded. I still, you know, answer my own text messages. I still schedule my own meetings, especially with people who have been around uh, me for 25 years. I don't send them to my scheduler. I really value them. And I say, well, when do you want to meet? And they tell me and I put it on my calendar and, um, you know, 
know, I still want to make sure that those people are still valued and that I'm accessible to them. So I think that's one of them. And then the Moss Squad, I've had over a thousand interns come through my office. We affectionately call them the Moss Squad. Every elected official has, you know, team this or, you know, I, I don't know, like other clever names. And so that was a play on the Mod Squad, which was a pretty popular TV show 40 years ago. And so people kind of kind of remember it or it's, at least it's catchy and so that's what we just affectionately term our volunteers and you know people that are part of our family. I love all of this. Speaking of you being so accessible and answering your own text messages, I wanted to talk about mentoring. I first met you in San Francisco in 2018 when you spoke to my Emerge California class. You wrote your phone number on the chalkboard and I immediately put it into my phone. Fast forward to this year, I ended up seeing you speak at several different online fundraisers and events in the same week. And you talked about the importance of mentoring, especially other women in the political arena. I then texted you and asked if we could have a conversation because I was in need of some political advice. And without hesitation, you set up a phone call with me for the next day. This is something I will never forget and something that I've come to realize is very characteristic of who you are. My question for you is, what do you think is missing for women in politics when it comes to mentorship? And how can we better mentor and support women? I love the Emerge program. That actually started in my office by Andrea Dusteel back in 2003 when I was on the board of supervisors. And she said, why are there not more women? And I told her, I said, it is really hard for women, right? We, our mentors are men. And if they want to bring us along and, you know, push us up there and push us out there, we really are dependent on them. And sometimes men don't want to give up power. Over the years, I have also found out that the women who were in a elected office, they had a hard time getting there and they did not want to share the power or the stage. And they don't also endorse a lot of women. And I thought that that was kind of weird that if you're a woman, why wouldn't you want to see more people and more, you know, women following behind, but that's not kind of how traditional politics has worked. Now with Emerge and Emily's List and Close the Gap and, you know, See Women Run and all of these organizations, I think now we have seen a change in attitude for women at the top who have made it, you know, like me without all of these, you know, groups. But yeah. clearly a lot of women have voted for me over the years. And can we harness this network, this sisterhood and not be so territorial and jealous? And I'll give you an example. Eleni Kunalakis, when she decided to run for governor, I don't know how many men told me don't endorse her because if she wins, she will probably run against you for governor someday. I mean, that's what they would say. And I've known Eleni for 25 years. She's been a good friend. She's qualified. She's, you know, she's substantial. She's smart. And if she wants to run for lieutenant governor, I said, I'm going to support her. And good for us if we're running against each other. And what I say to Emerge and other groups, there are now two, three, sometimes four women running in a race. This last assembly race uh, down to replace Sydney Kamwager, there were four women and one guy. And guess who won? The guy. The guy. Mm -hmm. The guy won, right? Mm -hmm. But I also say, good for us, but try not to tear each other down. In politics, negativity works in elections. And so people go to, you know, try to be negative and tear each other down, but it's not worth it in the end because you tear someone else down, they're going to tear you down. And ultimately your reputation, your brand depends on positivity, right? Getting your message out about who you are, what you stand for. And I don't know about everybody else, but I don't want to be seen.
seen as someone who tears people down and is negative. So I just try to keep it positive. And that's my advice to other women when you're running against each other, you know, put out, put your best shot forward, you know, put out what you're, what you stand for, what your platform is and try to really support each other because there's just not enough women in leadership positions at all different levels and all different industries. I couldn't agree more. That's such important advice. How do you balance the highs and lows of this work? The multitude of opinions people can have about you that shift from moment to moment. It's it's hard work, right? How do you balance that? Yeah. So on the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, I would say, hey, half the city hates me every day. And it's not the same half, depending on what the issue was, right? My voting record, the bills, the budget. So if you like to be liked every single day, this is a tough business for you, but you can develop a thick skin. I mean, I still am bothered when, you know, people, you know, respond negatively on my Twitter or my Facebook, or, you know, some reporter is trying to do a gotcha, you know, column, but you just have to think strategically. It's like a chess game, right? You got to anticipate people's moves. You have to know where you're going to move to, right? You just can't be complacent and be defensive, in my opinion. Like you have to be able to defend yourself, but if you're proactive, you can actually determine or control some of the messaging that is out there. So it's it's just not easy. It is a sacrifice. I have to tell you when people want to run for office, I interview them and I ask them, how much time do you have? Who is in your life? Do these people support you? Because when you run for office, it is 24-7. You're the one that is up at two, three in the morning because you forgot to get back to this person or you forgot to answer this questionnaire. And you know, you can't depend on people to do everything for you, especially if you don't have a lot of money in your bank account. It's ultimately up to you and your family members are the ones that take the brunt of it. So, you know, do you have a spouse that is supportive, right? Do you have kids? How old are your kids? Because it, you know, it's a sacrifice and it's, you know, your time and you only have so many hours of the day. And so that is real considerations that can cause you stress, especially when you're running for the first time. It absolutely is a sacrifice. In your opinion, what are the most pressing issues in the state of California right now? Well, obviously jobs right now, trying to get California reopened. And I'm glad that we are open back up and California is the fifth largest economy and we will bounce back very, very quickly. Affordable housing is still uh, an issue. We are in an affordable housing crisis. The demise of the redevelopment agencies back in 2012 and the Great Recession in 2008, uh, 2008 really slowed down our ability to create more affordable housing. And so we are playing a lot of catch up. And we thank Governor Newsom for giving us the extra resources to be able to uh, allocate our tax credits and bonds more efficiently and quickly so that hopefully we can build more affordable housing to meet the needs of the folks who need it. Water is also an issue. We are going through a second year of droughts. My husband is a firefighter and wildfires are real. And every time uh, it heats up, like last weekend, you know, we sit on pins and needles hoping that we get through that time period. But we definitely need more water, water conservation, and all the people that need water residents, our farmers, 
Um, I'm a big supporter of our ag industry. We produce 400 different agricultural products here in California. And I like being the breadbasket of the world. I like knowing that our food, that is on our table, is fresh, and it's healthy, and it's tested. So a lot of competing needs for water, but I would say those three are the top issues at this moment. Well said, Treasurer Ma. And what are your upcoming initiatives that you're most excited about? Wow, I've got a lot of initiatives. Last week, we just announced a public-private partnership with the Sacramento Kings on their old sleep train stadium, thousand acre parcel with the California North State University. It is a teaching hospital looking to expand and to build a state-of-the-art hospital with a helipad. And trying to put a helipad in certain communities uh, is not always easy. And so I was able to put together the people uh, together. And then today we just launched the largest electric vehicle fast charging pilot project here in the state. And it's going to be in Sacramento with SMUD and the Sacramento Regional Transit Authority and a private sector financing partner. And that is also going to be an amazing game changer if we are really going to be zero emission vehicles by, I don't know, was 2035 was the governor's um, executive order. So putting together economic development projects, creating jobs here, staying competitive against other states and, and other nations, I think really excites me in this treasurer's office because I have access to uh, a lot of grants and loans and bonds uh, that are keeping people at work. So those that's what's keeping me busy uh, during these past 15 months. You're doing incredible work. It means a lot that you're taking the time to chat with us today because a lot of our listeners, of course, are college students. And my final question for you is, if you could give one piece of advice to college students thinking about running for office or getting involved in the political arena, what would that be? I would say start with an internship. That is the best way um, to see upfront what type of life you may have. When you're an intern, you're probably going to respond to a lot of constituent calls and inquiries. And that's the best part of this job is being able to help people directly. So I would say get an internship, volunteer on political campaigns. Because if you're thinking about running for office, you're going to have to understand what it takes uh, as a candidate, right? What motivates your volunteers to come back in every day? Uh, what type of consultant do you need? How much money do you have to raise? You know, you have to put uh, up a good uh, website. You know, what does a good website mean? And all this you can learn as a volunteer. And then I would say get appointed to a local or a state board or a commission. That's the best way to get your training wheels uh, to understand Robert's Rules of Order, you know, the Brown Act, the Sunshine Act all the things that you're going to need, right, Denise, when you get elected to office to keep you out of trouble. And then if you still love it after then, then public service is probably your calling and find mentors like me and Denise who can help and support you, give you valuable advice. And if you're really serious, we will hire you and we will, you know, um, have you join us whenever you have time to volunteer. And I think that's the best way is to find a good mentor with similar values that will teach you good habits so that when you get elected, you will also hopefully um, have a successful uh, political career. Treasurer Fiona Ma, you are an amazing resource for us in the state of California and especially women in politics. Thank you so much for everything that you do. And thanks for taking the time to join us on the Persist podcast today. Thank you, Denise. Thank you for doing it. I'm very excited. 
The Persist podcast is hosted by me, Denise Davis, director of the UCR Women's Resource Center, and is produced by Rosa Tejeda and the staff in the UCR Women's Resource Center. Check out our Instagram pages for links to more episodes at UCRWRC and at UCR Persist. If you'd like to sign up for our newsletter, please email us at wrc at ucr.edu. We hope that this podcast inspires you and those around you to get involved in the political arena because we know that who is at the table absolutely matters. Finally, if you have any ideas for who a future guest should be on the podcast, feel free to reach out and let us know. 